from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. There is a new person at the top at Multnomah County. Jessica Vega Peterson takes over as chair of the state's largest county. But the top issue facing the county is an old one, homelessness. Many citizens list it as their number one concern. In this episode of Straight Talk, we hear from the new chair and how she will tackle homelessness. Before being elected chair, Vega Peterson was a member of the county commission and led the way on the county's voter-approved preschool for all program. Before that, she was the first Latina elected to the Oregon House in 2013, where she represented East Portland and where she currently lives. We'll talk with Vega Peterson in just a moment. And later in the show, we meet Ebony Clark. Governor Kotek recently tapped Clark to be Oregon's new director of behavioral health. She leaves her position this week as Multnomah County's health department director to take on Oregon's mental health crisis. First, welcome to my guest, the new chair of Multnomah County, Jessica Vega Peterson. Welcome back to Straight Talk. It's so nice to see you again. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Laurel. The governor has made it clear that she wants to make top homelessness her top priority, and she wants to work with you and Mayor Wheeler to house people, get them off the streets. And I understand you were taping this Thursday afternoon. You just came from a meeting with the mayor, with the governor, and with HUD, and you have some news to tell us about. Yeah, so this was a really exciting announcement that came out this week. Um, HUD is investing in uh, programs all over the country, eight, to really focus on um, getting people who are living unsheltered in homelessness directly connected into housing. And there is an $8.3 million investment that's happening right here in Multnomah County um, that they've, that they've awarded to us and this is really wonderful because it shows not only the um, their their belief and faith in our ability to solve this issue but the cooperation that's necessary from the federal level from the state level and at the local level to really address this issue because everyone said this can't be done just locally even statewide the feds have to be involved how will that money be used so this this is a really important kind of investment and it's and it's new and so that's what makes it so exciting it's about connecting people who are currently living unsheltered into permanent supportive housing. So not just putting a roof over their head, but making sure that they are connected to the supports they need if they're dealing with behavioral health issues, um, addiction issues, and it's doing it in a way that targets culturally responsive care. So really focusing on, in this case, Native American, Alaska Native communities, as well as LGBTQIA2S plus communities. So a very targeted investment that ties together housing and services. And you recently went to Seattle to see what they're doing around homelessness to get some ideas and and you came back with an idea I understand you want to implement in Multnomah County tell us about that and how it will work yeah you know I mean and I have to say, one of the, the best things that's happened, um, even ever since Election Day, has been the cooperation and the commitment to working together that has been happening um, from, from me and my team, but also uh, with the city of Portland, the mayor and his team, and with um, Governor Kotek and her team. And so we've had conversations since day one about what we're going to be doing together to address this issue. Um, and so um, in my third week in office, there were a group of us that went up to Seattle to look at what they're doing there to really address in a targeted way um, getting people moved directly into housing and doing it for people who are currently living um, unsheltered outside. And um, there are folks from the county that went, uh, folks from the mayor's office, folks from the governor's office. And what we observed is that they are having very intense meetings um, every single day where they're targeting certain geographic um, areas where they know that there are many people living outside. In fact, they said that you could put a thumbprint over the downtown area and know that you're going to be um, you know, targeting a lot 
lot of folks. And they are doing work every day to move those people into housing, get them the assistance that they need. Maybe it's help with an ID. Um, and they have the people doing the direct outreach there. They also have teams that are working with private landlords, with um, affordable housing units to get those connections made. And they really have a plan and a cooperation among the jurisdictions that once those people are moved into housing, then that site is going to stay clear. And that's the commitment that um, folks have to make. And this is really exciting, and I think it's something that we can definitely do here. And so you have a name for this plan? Yeah, so what I want to do is bring something very similar here, um, and I call it, we're calling it um, Housing Multnomah Now, because that's really what it's about. It's about getting people who are living outside, living unsheltered directly into housing. And we're going to do this in a similar way by um, targeting an area in the central city. Um, we're also looking to do it in East County within this next calendar year, where we will be focused on doing this direct in reach, coordinating resources across jurisdictions um, by setting by setting up the multi-agency um, collaborative group that would be doing this work, um, but really making those connections and have everybody working together to do this. And um, it's something that we know has been successful. It's something that we know is targeted. It's setting people up with not just the housing, but the services that they would need as well. And it's doing it in a way that I think um, supplements and complements the work that we're already doing with our shelters, with alternative shelters, um, even with the city's proposal around the urban campgrounds. So help us picture how this is going to work. Do you have a, a timeline and where you would start first? Yeah, well, we know that there's, uh, we're going to be looking both at where there's a higher concentration of people living outside so we can be effective in targeting an area. So we're um, imagining that the central, um, central you know, city area will be one of them. We also know that this is an issue that we're seeing in East Portland and East County, so we're looking at those areas too. Um, but we want to, you know, we really want to have the conversation um, with people of where the need is. So we'll be um, we'll be working on that. Um, but we'll be targeting um, groups to be doing in reach into those areas, starting one site at a time, to be developing relationships with people over weeks, um, to talk about what their needs are, what they want to get into, um, some of the challenges, to really understand the people, and then use that to make the connections into housing, the connections into services that people are looking for. So what happens, we know that there's some people who don't want to be mm -hmm. housed or sheltered. What happens to those folks? You know, it's really interesting, because that was definitely a question that we asked um, for the folks up in Seattle, and they said that there are very very, very few people that are that say no to housing, right? Give, if given the opportunity, sometimes it's about addressing the challenges or obstacles that are going to make them successful there, whether that's having an ID or um, having some um, treatment for a mental illness that they may have. So, um, so we're doing that. You know, we would be doing that daily connection work of showing up day after day, week after week, and to be moving people into housing. Um, but of course, if people do not want to go into housing, we want to make sure that there are all the alternatives that are available to somebody. So it sounded like once you target one area and you get people housed, then you expect it to stay uh, homeless free, that there wouldn't be a lot of camps there. How do you make sure people don't move back in? That happens a lot of times when they, a sweep happens and then they move back in. Yeah, so one of the main goals about this, Laurel, is to make sure that we're making those connections of people into housing so that they're not just being swept from one location to another location. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from constituents over the years of, of that happening. But um, what this is about is making sure um, that people are going to be making those connections, getting into housing, and then there needs to be commitments by the land over, landowners of, of whatever that location was to help keep it um, from getting re-encampment. And when does that start? When does this all start? So we're going to be working on it um, right away. I mean, we've already had several meetings putting the plan 
band together. We're going to be um, we've been talking to partners about this work. So um, this, I think, ties really well into the governor's executive order in setting up these MACs, right, these multi-agency collaboratives um, that she's looking at at the regional area. This is a very specific project that we can do at Multnomah County that I think is going to roll up to that. You know, a lot of business people in the city and county are just really fed up with what they see as crime for their businesses, break-ins, homelessness around their businesses, trash, graffiti, and they held a meeting a couple of weeks ago calling on city and county leaders to take action. Now, I know the city kind of oversees public safety, but is there anything you can do as chair, anything more you can do to try to help these businesses conduct business safely? Yeah, you know, I've met um, several times already um, since being elected chair with different business organizations and have toured the downtown um, business area to really um, hear those concerns. I think, you know, the things that we can commit is to definitely a better working relationship between the city and the county in addressing these issues, in supporting the work that we're each doing to address these issues, and then really making it clear that we want to make sure that um, Portland, that Multnomah County is a place that people um, are happy to live in, have the resources to live and thrive here, whether they're housed and unhoused, and have a business here that's successful. So I think it's working closely with the city to make sure that the public safety issues are being addressed. Um, we know that a lot of people who are living outside are actually being victimized too, and they deserve to have public safety and security. So that's something that I'm definitely supportive so of. So that's building a better relationship between the city and county is, is one of your priorities. Absolutely. Um, another challenge I know that you're faced with is Multnomah County Animal Services has faced a, a crisis recently. Former employees claim there was systemic animal neglect at the shelter, animal overcrowding, a lack of support, and they said they went to management with their concerns and that they were ignored. I know you love pets. You have a, a pet. I, I understand that you adopted from a shelter. This must be hard for you, but you've called for a review. Um, where does that stand right now? Yeah, so there was a crisis situation that we were facing over the holidays at Animal Services where there were so many um, pets coming inside um, the inflow, but there wasn't the adoptions that were happening. And actually, they hadn't even started in-person adoptions since the pandemic. So there was a pause on bringing animals in so that, um, and we had a call out to volunteers and for resources and um, the public um, responded so strongly to that that way we had people helping with um, some of the tasks that needed to be done we had people volunteering to foster animals and we had so many people lined up to adopt animals that we were really able to help that flow and we were able to re uh, resume in-person adoptions which is great but right now what's happening is uh, so that was the crisis but now um, I have called for a review and we're starting work on taking a look at kind of the higher level like top to bottom what's happening um, how our process is looking what's um, what can we do to improve animal care? Because that is really our number one priority. Um, and, that, and that's work we're happening right now. And I've asked for a, a review of that in a few weeks. Is that an, an internal review or an outside review? So it's an internal It's an internal review that's happening. But we're definitely going to be calling on our partners. Um, we have such great um, resources and partnerships with like the Oregon Humane Society that we really want to make sure that we're involving um, folks into this and um, putting in place the things we need to do to improve um, the animal animal care that's happening, improve conditions to our staff and our volunteers. You know, an audit in 2016 and 2018 showed that this has been going on for years and that the shelter had a history of falling below national standards. Why did it go on for so long? You know, I don't know. I think it was, um, I think um, that there were some entrenched things that might have been hard to figure out. But what I am really focused on now is let's 
let's take a look at this. Let's use the recommendations that came from these audits, make sure that those are being implemented, but also what can we do um, to really make sure that we are prioritizing the, the safety and care of the animals that are there. Um, we have new leadership that's there. We have folks that have just started in November and September, and I really have a lot of trust in um, the management that's there. And what I've really said, and um, this is something not just for animal services, but across the county, is that like knowing what our mistakes are or where we can improve, that's not something that we should be afraid of. That is how we get better, and that is how we better serve our community. And so that's the philosophy I have with animal services. I know another big initiative for you, is because you're a self-described transportation nerd, and, <laughs> and you're taking the lead on making sure the Burnside Bridge is earthquake ready. And we have some video of what might happen, of a simulation in the event of the big one to the Burnside Bridge. So tell us as we look at this, the importance of this project and where we are as far as uh, planning and construction in phase of this phase. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the Burnside Bridge is 97 years old. So it was built like before modern engineering standards, before we even knew that we were susceptible to a Cascadia earthquake. And we are a city that is divided by a river. So if there is a Cascadia event, we have to make sure that we have a way for um, parents to get home to their children, for people to get across the, the bridge um, if, if something happens. And right now we don't have a seismically resilient bridge um, that crosses the Willamette River in Portland. So we need to make sure that if you're there and an earthquake happens and you're trapped somewhere, that first responders have a way to get to you. We also need to make sure that we are building a bridge um, that is sturdy so that we can have um, a recovery from Portland. It's going to be really important for the long-term success of our city after an earthquake happens that we have a connection and a way to, um, to to get back into working back into action so this is a project that I've been working on ever since I became a county commissioner um, we have had a lot of work over the years and um, right now we're in the design stage of the project which is fantastic um, and we are hoping to move into and get construction um, uh, dollars secured so that we can move into that constru construction phase. I was reading that it, the cost because of inflation went up to a, like a billion dollars. Have you been able to trim that cost at all? We did, yeah. We, you know, I mean, I think all of us haven't seen the impacts, whether it's uh, of inflation, whether it's on our eggs, whether it's on, you know, how much it takes to put gas in our car, but we definitely saw this in the construction. Um, so while we had this original vision for it, we had to be more realistic about what we were going to be able to raise, what we were going to be able to afford for this really important bridge. Um, so there was a community effort to really look at revisions. Um, the board approved those in um, last year, and now we're moving forward with a, a bridge that is still going to be um, immediately available after an earthquake that will still um, support multimodal use, but um, will help us be a size that we can get the funding we need to get it built. Well, there's so much more to talk to you about, yes. so I hope you'll come back on the show. We've run out of time because I want to save time to, for Ebony Clark, who's coming up next, but I want to wish you the best of luck in your new role. Thank you so much, Laurel. This was great, and I'd love to come back. And coming up next, we will meet Ebony Clark, the new Director of Behavioral Health in Oregon. That's coming up in two minutes. Welcome back to Stray Talk, I'm Laurel Porter. Oregon has one of the highest addiction rates in the country. It's also ranked last in the nation when it comes to access to treatment and services. That combination has led in part to a behavioral health care crisis in the state. But now there's a new person at the helm taking on the mental health care challenge in Oregon. Governor Tina Kotek appointed Ebony Clark as the state's new behavioral health director. Clark is leaving her position as the Multnomah County Health Director this week. 
to take on the formidable task of, in her words, making Oregon a better place for all Oregonians. Welcome to my guest, the state's new behavioral health director, Ebony Clark. Welcome back to Straight Talk. It's nice to have you here again. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. It is uh, no secret to you that this is a gigantic challenge. When the governor asked you to take this job, did you have any reservations about saying yes? You know, I, I think first and foremost, I was honored and I was humbled um, at the ask just because um, what we understand is a lot of the issues that we're dealing with from homelessness to incarceration to increased substance use and so much more, there's the direct through lines um, specific to behavioral health. So I was humbled and in any position that I take, you know, I, I, I take a moment to pause and to think about, um, you know, what the task is at hand. Um, and because of, you know, my background, uh, both personally and uh, professionally, um, I wanted to go ahead and jump in and see how I can help um, solve for the issues that, that we're all grappling with. And it's going to take a, a lot to turn this ship around. What's, what's your first priority? You know, I think that it's, you know, being able to understand that we can't take these broad brush uh, uh, strategies. You can't take a cookie cutter approach in what we do. And, you know, we have to really think about and uh, dissect the various issues that, you know, have kind of created this perfect storm that we're experiencing. And so, you know, some of the first things that I want to do is really get in and, and do an analysis of just where we're at in terms of, you know, the current investments to understand the impact and the challenges. Um, you know, I really want to make sure that we're really engaging um, consumers, our providers, our key stakeholders, and also hearing from um, the staff to understand, you know, all perspectives. But I think that, you know, we need to really um, look at the issues by category. And so I think of the issues specific to our crisis continuum, um, our substance use uh, and co-occurring continuum. We need to think about, you know, specialty services specific to older adults, child and family, um, and everything in between. Also not losing sight of, you know, services for those who are justice involved and um, specialty services for um, communities of color. When you talked about earlier personal experience, we talked about this a little bit when you were on Straight Talk last time, your lived experience. And for people who don't know your background, you were born to a heroin addicted mother. You spent weeks in the hospital after birth being weaned off the drugs. You lived in foster care, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, but you were eventually reunited with your mom and you mm -hmm. lived in a rehab center with her and your family as she became clean and sober, which she did. How do you think that lived experience is going to inform how you do this next job? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, what I've learned and what I've been able to bring forward in my lived experience is really being able to understand the unique challenges and experiences um, that we're working to solve for. You know, really being able to um, humanize the, the issue and the work that we do. Um, again, uh, everyone is unique and the challenges, the experiences, um, are complex. And so, you know, again, how do we create um, a, a response that truly allows for someone to have an individualized approach um, without judgment, without shame, 
um, as they're moving through their recovery journey. And so I really believe that my lived experience helps me understand and really brings compassion to the work. Well, Director Clark, I mentioned at the top of the show that we are last in the nation in Oregon in terms of access to treatment. And our reporter, Blair Best, went to the Dalles recently to shadow an outreach worker to see what that worker was doing to try to get people off the street and into treatment. And she met a homeless man, uh, David Castle, who was addicted to heroin, who desperately wants to get a methadone clinic or get into a methadone clinic or get into some kind of treatment so he can get off heroin, but there's nothing available in the Dallas. Let's listen to what he said and then we'll talk about it. If I could just flip a switch and be sober, I'd be sober again. Yeah, but that doesn't work that way. No, it don't. So the closest detox center, I'm told, is two hours away. Yeah, it, there's no detox here. They, the hospital won't do nothing for you. They'll give you a shot and send you back out on the streets if they even do that for you. A lot of people won't. How frustrating is this whole system? It makes me just want to give up. It makes me want to give up on life, man. It's really hard to hear about giving up on life. What do you hope you can do as the new behavioral health care director in the state to help people like David Castle and, and to have more access throughout the state? Yeah, you know, there's a couple things that I hope to do. I hope to partner with um, the local communities around finding, you know, the local solution in answer to um, the challenges and needs. You know, um, I believe that each community is unique. Um, and while we're seeing um, the issues of substance use um, and overdose and suicide uh, and so much more play out in the various communities, um, each community there's this uniqueness. So I hope to partner to find solutions. I also hope to really broaden the continuum of care. And so we have to think about you know the full continuum. So in terms of what we just saw, it's important to think about you know what are the uh, services that we can bring on in terms of sobering, you know, and so in the first 72 hours when someone's ready to step into their path of recovery, how do we give them a place where they can safely um, begin their um, withdrawal? And so how do we have services so that someone can get sober and then go into withdrawal management and again doing it from um, a safe environment and, you know, where they can have medical treatment if that what's needed but then we also need to think about then what's next and what's that next warm handoff because an individual might need residential treatment an individual might need uh, higher levels of care such as inpatient or some individuals might be stable enough to utilize um, some targeted outpatient services and so we have to think about that full continuum and also not losing sight of the uh, how critical it is to incorporate consumers um, and peers who have the same lived experience to help inspire and encourage someone to stick with their journey around recovery. So really wanting to increase access and capacity um, throughout the state of Oregon because an individual shouldn't have to travel two to four hours to get their needs met. We only have about a minute left, but I want to ask you that something that exacerbates this health care crisis is the lack of behavioral health care workers. What ideas do you have to try to get people interested in going into this field? Um, I believe that we have to incentivize the work. Um, you know, what I also know is that a lot of individuals that step into this field have their own lived experience, whether it's individual or for families. Um, what we learned in the pandemic was that a lot of individuals also begin to um, better 
um, understand the importance of mental health services and behavioral health services. So I believe that we need to start um, getting into the schools, the high schools and the colleges to um, peak curiosity. We need to look at how do we come up with programs where we can assist um, paying for someone's education and how do we pay a competitive uh, wage so that folks can really uh, live um, off of these salaries for this type of work. And I think that we have to continue to be innovative and creative. And so how do we start to really better incorporate um, consumers into the continuum of care? Well, Ebony Clark, thank you so much for joining us here on Straight Talk, and I wish you the best of luck thank you. in your new role. And thank you for watching and listening to our KGW Straight Talk podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Just search for KGW Straight Talk. And join us next week when we talk with Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan about his new assignments at City Hall. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.